How's that? <clears throat> Rarely have I had such a response from so few words. Hoy. Sound a little loud. Am I a little too loud now? Okay. Those of you who are visiting, you have not entered the, uh, the, the therapy session. It's just sometimes things happen. I was thinking about our worship this morning, so I decided to cast aside my sermon and preach out of the hymn book this morning. Is that okay? I'm not really going to do that. But I, I had an exhortation. I thought about this as we were singing those first few songs this morning. I used to, I had a worship leader who used to say, man, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. <laughs> so let me just say that. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet, right? And I was thinking about some of those songs about grace and all of that and what came to me. And I just, once in a while, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to speak life to the church. And, and this famous song, some of you who've been around a while will recognize it. And it's attributed to Bernard of Clairvaux, Jesus, the very thought of thee. Anybody remember that? It's kind of schmaltzy, you know, people go, oh boy, you know. But listen to this. O hope of every contrite heart, O joy of all the meek, to those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. But what to those who find, ah, this... No tongue or pen can show the love of Jesus what it is. None but his loved ones know. Wow. People struggle, you know. And when you have been born from above and you, you pursue that relationship with God, there's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to you that only you know. You know, I can know about it, but I can't know it the same way that you know it. So I hope today as you're listening, uh, if you haven't come to rest in that person, Jesus, who is the Savior of the world. By the way, did you see that um, the famous painting by da Vinci, I think it was, uh, Salvatore Mundi, the Savior of the world? You want to know how much Jesus is worth? $450 million, just, just in case you wanted to know. He's worth way more than that, but that was the picture that got auctioned off. It was an original and savior of the world. I thought, isn't that great? High value on that. I place even higher value on it. How about you? All right. This morning, I have a unique type of message. It's the State of the Church Sunday. Time for the State of the Church Address. You know, we hear the State of the State Address. Oy. And we hear the State of the Union, and we hear all, oh, boy, I don't want to touch politics, do I? Not today. No, no. This is a happy place. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Anyway, uh, it's a little bit unusual. However, because I believe that the preaching of the word in the gathering of the saints is an important thing, even though I'll be talking about our present situation um, I have folded in passages of scripture because I believe that that is always edifying to us somewhere along the line. So if you're a visitor here today, I'm sorry we caught you off guard. It's not totally normal, and yet we will be in the word a little bit together. But we're talking about our journey as an assembly because we've been on a journey together. So it is the state of the church address. And um, I'm going to take a risk here, and that is... Um, 
I'm going to adjust it. If I run short of time, I'm just going to bail on part of it and pick it up next week. Is that all right with you? So that I don't write. And even if it isn't, you know what's going to happen. And uh, because I don't want to just like slide through, scream through something and not be able to unpack it. And uh, also, I, I do something unusual. It's uh, people who have been in churches for years and years are not always used to it. But in our assembly, I welcome questions, not about who won the ball game, but questions about what I'm teaching on. And we're going to have a little Q&A time also just to make sure we're uh, understanding each other. How's that? So as we begin, I'm going to ask that you join me in prayer because I feel like we need the help of our master, Jesus, to hear from him. Holy Spirit, third member of the divine triune Godhead, you're the one that when Jesus went back to be with his father, he said that he would send you to be with us, another comforter, one that would minister to us, who would let us know, for those who find, none but his loved ones know. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, minister to your saints. Build us up in our most holy faith. My earnest desire today is to speak life. And uh, you are the author of life in every way, physical life, spiritual life, mental life, eternal life, abundant life. That was your intention. Man has been cooperating with the murderer from the beginning to work death, but you're the one who wants to breathe life back into your broken world. So would you help us to receive some of that? And as my brother Mike prayed a minute ago, that we would be uh, messengers and carriers, if you will, of your life speak. In the name of Jesus, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit today, Lord Jesus, and we pray for you to illumine our minds and, and that you would guard my tongue and my giftings for your namesake and for your glory. I recognize a great level of helplessness apart from you. Help. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. So I made a mistake straight up, so let me just be straight up. Anybody have a bulletin in their hands? And if you're a note taker, there's places to write notes. I, I made a big mistake. Anybody know about like exhorting one another, what it's like to exhort one another? You're supposed to give like four or five compliments before you have to lay the bad news on. And you look at my paper, look how stupid and lopsided that is. Here's what's right and here's what's wrong. But that's not really accurate, so I, I, I kind of made a mistake. So let me just be right up and say, really the way you want to talk about this is more like, here's, here's areas of, of goodness and here's areas that need strengthening, right? Opportunities when you get your evaluation at work. Here's an opportunity for improvement. Doesn't that sound better? Everybody feels better now. Okay, now I can pull out the stops. All right. State of the church, just in general. I couldn't resist. I went online. Anybody recognize the name George Barner? No, I just spoke like I just came out of New York City yesterday. Barner. It's Barna. Barna. I have to curb my ADD and stay on task here. Here's one of his, uh, one of his charts. 
because he did a state of the church address for the year 2016. So that's only back one year. This will be fairly close to current, even though I'm sure things have probably adjusted a little bit. How do most Americans identify in America? 73% claim Christian root of some sort. Don't jump to any conclusions yet because we're going to unpack this just a bit. It's good to look at the bigger picture, the global picture, so we don't see ourselves just in isolation. We're part of a bigger picture, right? The Church of Jesus in America. So 73% they're Christian, while only one-fifth, 20%, claim no faith at all, that is, atheists, agnostics, etc., a fraction, get this, 6% identify with faith like Islam, Buddhism, Judaism, Judaism, or Hinduism, 1% are unsure. That's a small cluster, really, when we, we feel like sometimes all the foreign uh, religions of the world or the different religions are overtaken. It's not totally accurate. But there is another side to this. And so if we look at the next chart, look at this. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Even though the majority of Americans identify as Christian and say religious faith is important in their life, these huge proportions belie the much smaller number of Americans who regularly, quote, practice their faith. Ooh, there's always a catch, right? Rightfully so. I want you to listen to Barna's definition of what he calls practicing, which in my opinion is extremely generous because I would go, but anyway, here's his, here's his standard. Ready? Um, when a self-identified Christian attends a religious service at least once a month and says their faith is important in their life, Barna considers that person a practicing Christian. So you have to have some standard. I, I don't fault him. I'm saying you have to have some standard to discern where people fall in the catalog. But uh, from a discipleship standpoint, once a month, and it's important to me, but I don't really do anything about it, is not necessarily, well, it's not discipleship. It's not really following or practicing the way Jesus had it in mind. Wouldn't you agree? About 31%. So the number goes down to 31 as far as just practicing as I just defined it. If we were to talk lively Christian faith, I don't know where the number goes from there. I didn't, I didn't want to research that much because I just didn't want to, okay? Here's something fun, though. Most Americans attend small churches. We can drop that one. Everybody depressed enough yet? Okay, try to encourage us. Most Americans attend small to medium churches. Almost half, 46% of practicing Christians attend a church of 100, or American churchgoers this is, at all, of 100 or fewer members. Almost half, 100 or fewer. Okay, so spread that out across the country. More than one-third, 37%, attend a mid-sized church of over 100, but not larger than 499. That's us. So we're in a full one-third of the way American Christianity looks. We kind of fit in with that full one-third. One uh, in 11, 9% attend a church with between 500 and 999 attenders, and then slightly more at a thousand. So that's a very small cluster. 
Can I just say something about large churches? Thank you for begging me. <clears throat> Sometimes we have an attitude like, oh, one of those churches, you know. That's just wrong. Can I just exhort us? There are all churches come in all sizes and shapes, just like you. We come in all sizes and shapes, and God can use every one of them. Every one of them has a place. We say, oh, yeah, those big churches, you go and hide in the pews, you're never held accountable. There are some people that need that for a while. And then God gets them, you know what I mean? I don't know if he does that, but it, somehow he gets them, you see? And then small churches, uh, even though many times small churches have a pride, you know, like, well, we're more family-friendly or we're, we're more friendly or whatever it might happen to be, which may or may not be true, by the way, they are an opportunity for the average person to come and say, oh, I can get involved here, I can make friends here, and all of that is true. So there's a place for every church. We're not, I don't understand why Christians are so often at war with the church. The church is God's plan A. He has no plan B. Just the way it is. Whatever shape, form it comes, whether it's formal, whether it's home groups, whether it's underground, doesn't matter. You can't do Christianity without the church. I don't know how many ways I can preach that till I'm blue in the face, but I'm already green, so I better stop, right? Anyway, just a little sidebar exhortation, encouragement. Just guard where your heart is about that. It doesn't mean you have to be part of any particular one. You've got to find the place that God wants you. And that's what you should do. Here's the last thing. Christians are more generous than their secular peers. Yay us! You know, I read the newspaper, and almost every day... I go, there's a certain page. We got in there, by the way, in the last few weeks, Barbara Bedell's page. Anybody read the paper here, local? She tells all the good things that are going on. There's a lot, sorry. There's a lot of fundraisers that go on around here for every cause imaginable. And sometimes I'm reading them, I'm going, oh, God, we're so boring. And I'm so boring. Ever feel that way? I'm so boring. I'm so not a good person. A few weeks back, uh, Harmony Christian School got in because they went and visited the fire department, the police departments, and got our pictures. It was kind of cool. It was uh, encouraging. I said, yay. But here, listen to this. This is the, the cool part. This is where uh, the old expression, put your money where your mouth is, uh, comes to bear. More than half of Americans, 54%, have given money to a church in the past year. Half that number have given to a nonprofit other than a church, 22%. Unsurprisingly, almost all practicing Christians, 94%, have given to a church compared to one quarter, 23% of atheists or agnostics. Well, of course they wouldn't. That's like kind of, duh. But anyway, sure glad you shared that with me. But here's the better part. In fact... Practicing Christians tend to be more generous overall than their secular counterparts. 96% of practicing Christians gave to a church or a nonprofit compared to 60% among atheists and agnostics. That's any nonprofit, whether it's animal rights or you name it. Okay. So there is some consistency considering what is important, you know, in a person's life who is somehow in the category of practicing Christianity.
That's the state of the church as a whole. I was kind of encouraged by some of that, even though it's not super strong. We are in a secular culture, and, it, and it's becoming more and more so, and Christians really not need to stop bemoaning that because it just is. That just means bigger mission field for you. Everybody said, yes, Pastor John. You know, we want it all nice already, but look, the early church had to win in the, in the Roman Empire. They had to go up against everything that was oppositional to them, and they won. I used to think about that verse when Jesus says, and I do say this often, just kind of in wonder, when the Son of Man returns, will he indeed find faith on the earth? Anybody remember that? When the Son of Man returns, will he? Anybody remember that verse? I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? And yes, he will. And there are so, some encouraging things going on in our world uh, with the kingdom advancing. So what about ours? We're part of that. We fit into some of those stats, right? We do. We fit into some of that. Let's talk about harmony. And uh, I had this uh, picture in my mind. I used this one. Uh, I found this. I got I to be honest. I found this picture on the Internet. You can't trust everything on the Internet. You really can't. But I think that's a real picture. That was a joke. Anyway. <laughs> It belongs to a counseling organization out in Arizona, Phoenix uh, slash Scottsdale Counseling. So I just want to give credit. I, I stole it. Okay? Man at a crossroads. I thought this would work better than my samurai movie picture with a, with a samurai at a, at a crossroad, and he throws a stick and decides which way to go. I thought, if I show that, I'll be off task for the rest of the morning. So this is simpler. He's come this way, obviously. He's gone that way. The road that he's traveled, we don't want to go back that way, especially in our situation because, as you know, for those of you who are new, uh, I came originally four and a half years ago as the interim pastor, and we had had some rough history. And so we've been in the process of trying to fix and move forward and bring some healing as possible. And so we don't want to go back that way. We don't want to go back where we came from. But now we're at a point where there are a couple of ways we could go. We could go the way that might be easier and more comfortable, can be kind of a, oh, to say as my friends in New York City would have said to me, meh. That's okay, but meh. Or something may be a little more challenging, like something that might bring some kingdom adventure, some, some vitality spiritually, something vital. You know what I mean? That's really the choices we have, and almost every church has that choice before them uh, on a regular basis or at different periods, different opportunities that it comes their way. Let me explain what I mean and, and how I got my little outline today. Uh, remember when, uh, before I had come, you had the ministry mapping team come and interview everybody, and they probably asked you some questions that sounded a little like this. Um, what do you see going on here that's good? What do you see going on here that's not good? And what would you like to see? Right? They asked you stuff like that. Am I right? Okay. And because uh, I just took the training, so they told me that's what I'm supposed to ask you. You know, took it a couple of years back, actually. And uh, what's right? What's not right? 
What would you like to see? And obviously, when you ask a question like, what would you like to see, you can't act on everybody's opinion. Can everyone figure that out? I would like a skating rink in the backyard. I think we, I think our church needs a skating rink. Wow, what a wonderful idea. Not. Huh, what? Thank you, dear. Okay, so, anyway. <laughs> right now it might be if it, the temperature goes back down. What's going on? That's right. What's going on? That's wrong. What would you like to see? And really out of volume of people being tuned into the spirit, certain themes come out that say, hey, maybe God's telling us something in this. And that's why they ask those kind of questions, trying to figure it out. Why do we have to make a decision? You have to go one way or the other. You can't be going straight on this road. We can drop that picture because it's getting boring now. Thank you, bro. How stability can hurt a church? Years ago, Rainer on leadership talking about this. We've kind of gotten a little bit stable. Do you remember my illustration I used to use when I first got here? Everybody hates this. I see you. Thank you. Everybody thinks I'm mean. I'm going to ask Teddy to share something in a few minutes because I had an interaction with him one day and I said, Wow. That was pretty insightful. So when I came, I was, kind of, I was kind of in some shock, personally from my own background as well as from what you had been through as a church. It was a little bit difficult to, to get my bearings. And so as I would speak to us about this might need to be addressed and this is broken or whatever, uh, some people thought I was mad. I, um, probably a toss-up, probably a toss-up, but I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. So let me explain why. You just scared me. Um, how stability can hurt a church? We had the ICU illustration that we had been in Iraq. People were like, we need to do something. I'm saying, we're in ICU. We got tubes coming out of every part of us. You know, we cannot go run a marathon. We have to recover. We have to start being able to walk around the ward. Those of you who've been through these things, you know what I'm talking about. You gotta, you know, start walking and all of that. And then when you're really doing well, they take all the tubes out. Now you're rolling. Then you get to go home or you go to rehab. Yikes. So we may be at the point where we're at home going to rehab three times a week. Yay. That's good. Yeah, we've made progress. But the problem is we start to get comfortable with that. Oh, we're okay. We're okay. I felt that a lot when I first got here. Oh, we have a pastor. And I used to say, I feel like I'm a cog in the machine a little bit. You know, you got the pastor in place, so therefore everything's good. Well, no, not necessarily, uh, especially considering the pastor you hired. How can you really think that? That's a joke. Or maybe not. I don't know. A stagnant church will not stay on mission. And comfort, Mr. Rayner was saying, is often the enemy of obedience. Listen to this. Being a part of a local church means making a commitment to focus on others. It's one of the areas that the ministry mapping team strongly spoke into the life of our church about having a and more of an outward focus. In this last year, one of the right things that's been going on, there's a number of things that have gone better, 
and it's been encouraging. But when you start feeding the hungry and things like that, there is a focus on outside of our own comfort zone. And there are other things as well that are moving in that direction. And so I want us to be encouraged by that. But comfort can end up being the enemy of obedience, and we get comfortable, and we like it our way, and if somebody changes something, uh uh-oh. And I think we've had some change in the past four years, but we're going to have to have some more. So let me just speak into this first verse. When I was pondering the state of the church, I did earnestly want to speak life to you in this regard. Revelation, the third chapter. Jesus says to one of his churches, I know your deeds. Behold, I've put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Isn't that an encouraging verse? It really is. Isn't that an encouraging verse? Wow, we got three that time. Yeah, it really is. Now, I, I put this up not because I had a word from... I don't know if you understand what I mean by that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lay something on his prophets in a church to speak life or speak challenge or rebuke. And uh, that's not how this came to me. It came to me in terms of simply thinking about that church in the New Testament who Jesus says to you, you have an open door, there's something you can do, and if I'm behind it, you can't shut it, but this is the best part. You have a little power. Some of us have chosen to keep his word. There was a time when I was wondering about that. We were a little bit shaky at some points. Are we really loyal and standing on the word of God? And I know that there are those who lean in and believe God for what he says. Keep my word. You've kept my word. You've not denied my name. You have a little power. So there are some things that are happening. One of the encouragements to me, and see, this is trying to make up for all the all the uh, stuff I, I'm not making up for, it, but I think about, you know, Teddy, I was yelling, you know. Uh, this is encouraging. There is a a brooding, I think, of the Holy Spirit over some of us. There's a wooing going on. The Spirit is brooding. When I hear people come and say, I, and I'm, I'm somebody in the room, I hope they don't mind me quoting them. I'm not giving away any names, but I walked in and knew, I knew this was the church family I was supposed to be part of. And, and that brooding drawing of the Spirit. There is a little flock here, hungry. Some are stepping up. And I also believe some of us know that the Holy Spirit wants to call us up. Call us up from where we're stalled or, or can I use this word, cruising? Anybody cruising? You don't have to admit here, you know, I'm not grading anybody, all right? But we, we kind of cruise. We kind of set back and eh, let it slide. So there is some brooding. There's another thing that's cool. Um, this is very relevant in light of the last week. What, what, um, what Mr. Barna said about financial giving among practicing Christians. There is a base here of stewards. It's pretty obvious because I don't even know how you guys keep this place afloat. So there are some stewards here. There are some, and by the way, four and a half years, I have spoken about money Three times. I even remember three times. So don't anybody say that's all they ever talk about at that church is money. That's not true, right? 
but I am talking about it for a minute. And one of the ways I want to speak about it is way to go to those of you who have been faithful disciples. Some of you were raised up with a discipleship orientation. I'm just going to say it. Tithing is part of your DNA. It's just the way it is, which, by the way, it should be part of every disciple's DNA. Hint, hint. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Everybody mad now? Doesn't matter. Anyway, so so there's a good financial base, and we certainly need that. Um, I wanted to get up today and say, well, literally, our finances are going down the toilet this week. Did anybody know that? We we had we had a septic problem. It cost us like eight thousand dollars to clean that thing out. It was a mess. So. If you like meeting in a warm building with flushing toilets and running water, keep stewarding your finances. Thank you, dear brothers. Way to go. Ten points for all of you. Ministry Ministries that are developing. Our deaconesses are working on some things. We've got some new deacons. We're going to start training very quickly. I've got appointments scheduled to do that. Can't wait for it. Um, we train some people for visitation. We need to get that up and active. We took a, an opportunity to bring a consultant to look at our school together. And uh, some of the things that I'm looking at is if, I, I, you may remember when I talked about uh, training and adding leadership, I was hoping that picture in my mind of a plane going down a runway, it sounded a little negative, but I meant it positively, that when a plane goes down the runway, the vacuum sucks all the debris along with it. That's a negative picture, debris. But the point is, if leaders rise up and start to lead, then there's going to be a suction that pulls it along. And I hope, I hope somewhere some of us are like, I want to be part of that. If God's going to use that and build the kingdom, I want to be part of that. I, I, can I just say, there, I, this is my gifting. I understand that. You have a gifting. When you find your gifting and you pour into it, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but there's something that breathes life into you. So I, I, you know, I'm like, I have weeks, believe it or not, I have weeks. A week, am I getting anywhere? Can you believe? I actually wonder that sometimes. I know. I'm mad, second kind of mad, you know, maybe. I go, am I getting anywhere? And then somebody will come and they're, they're, uh, they're blocked in their spiritual life or there or there's there's some kind of a lie that they're listening to or something holding them back and the holy spirit helps us to unpack that and the light comes on it's like <gasps> now they have that woohoo and i go yes it's like yes don't need drugs it's just fun sorry if you're bored Am I speaking life yet, or am I totally just... I'm trying. So I have some exhortations going forward. When we start ministry, there's a reason, and I do not like, I do not like being the heavy. Some people like pastors, I know, I know, because I know some of the history of our church, and I know we had pastors, some pastors, who would say, you're going to do this today, and you're going to do that tomorrow, even though you don't come here, you're going to do it. Hello, Earlene. Welcome. We're glad you're back. <laughs> Good to see you. I don't like doing that. So when I say this is a rule I'm asking you to follow, there's a reason. 
because I don't like having to be the heavy in any way. I don't. I believe the ministry belongs to the body of Christ, not to me. My job is to coach you and send you in the right direction. But let me just say that we have a besetting inclination. I didn't use sin. A besetting inclination. And that is sometimes, anybody in the room ever bite off more than you can chew? Uh Uh-oh. You know what? I'm not talking about eating. I'm talking about you commit to way to anybody get what I'm you with me so when I see four weeks in a row now an appeal for someone to help us pour the word of God into our children and nobody steps up if somebody says to me they want to start something new I'm not excited I'm just telling you what I think I would rather do fewer things well fewer things well And sometimes our definitions of doing it well won't be in alignment. Trust me, could be done a lot better. So I want to see what we're doing, whatever we're going to own, do as well as it possibly can. And listen, one of the things we need to understand, when we're in a church, a church is a volunteer-intensive organization. Does anybody understand what I mean by that? You don't get paid for what you're doing except when you get to glory. And you have to have a certain amount of faith to trust God for that, right? To keep a good attitude in the meantime. So we have to respect volunteers. What's the most valuable asset we have today. Thank you. Time. That's what we're vying for. Time. Going to be blunt. Can't afford to waste people's time. Can't afford to. And I have some opinions and exhortations, not opinions, some instructions, some vision, if you will, about what I would like to see in the lives of our volunteers One of the problems is volunteers who are responsible get overloaded with too much, right? While other people don't even volunteer. So I I didn't hear what those mumbles were, but I think we're on the same page, right? Cruisers. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Junior church, just for an example, this came to my mind. Last year, I baptized a precious sister, a young sister who got born again in our junior church. For It's Kingdom Kids. Let me be correct. In Kingdom Kids, before it was Kingdom Kids. Became a child of God. I had the privilege of baptizing her. How fun is that, right? We think, oh, that's just work, busy work or work. Oh, it's just duty. Man, you need a vision fix. It's what you need. Need a vision fix. If you're definitely not a child person, don't go down there. Okay, pastor, I'll volunteer, but I'll probably choke one by the end of the first service. <laughs> don't do that. No, 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 no. You're off the hook. But there's some... <laughs> Confession's good for the soul, brother. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Me too. Kids terrify me. That's why I had five. Get me over my fear issues. But anyway, that's not why. (laughs) And we're not going into that right now. Okay. So that's why I speak about new ministry, just so you understand. And I also, I want to make sure it's going to be equipped. It's going to be done well. And also we want it at this point, we can't afford to fool around. We need to make sure it's vital. So 
That's my encouragement relating to the good things that are happening. These are good things, that, that potential, okay? Question. Sir. Yes. <gasps> Keep going. And for the audience, the question is, we get overloaded with all kinds of things, but it's not always church. How do we balance that? I'm so glad you asked. Because <laughs> that brings me to my next, don't put up the slide yet if I've got it right. I can say I'm going to save this for next week. I have to. <sighs> Something that needs a... Uh, it needs some correction. So let me park on that now, and then I'll rewrap for next week because time is moving along. Let me tell you a story. I've shared this one other time. Recently, I was interacting with one of the brothers in the church and um, who I would consider a disciple. So he's not cuckoo. And I, was, I mentioned the verse I'm about to share with you, and it was like he gave me that look that said basically, he didn't say this, but he was basically looking at me saying, that'll preach. Well, pastors love to hear that. That'll preach. So here's what it is. Back in the Old Testament, those of you who are reading through the Old Testament, hey, if you're behind, don't get discouraged. Just keep plowing, okay? I, I live with somebody who got a little behind and is on a mission now, having a great time catching up. Don't worry about how far you got. My point is I want you in the word of the living God. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, right? It transforms you. Sidebar exhortation. One of the things churches make a big mistake about, pay somebody to do the ministry, get that volunteer to do the ministry, then the kingdom will go forward and I'm off the hook. I can go live my own life. Every one of you, biblically, has to be connected to the head. You need a vital connection with Jesus, whoever you are, whatever you're gifting, whatever level you're at in Christ, you have to cultivate that relationship. Okay. Everybody got it? How would, how would your marriage fare if you don't talk to your spouse for five weeks in a row? I'm sorry, I missed that one. Must be a good one. The sad part is I know people are in the room. It's not faring well. I get that. That's the point. It takes work to cultivate the relationship. If God is real, this is why I say unbelief is one of our besetting sins. If he's real, there's a relationship to be connected with. None but his loved ones know. So go for that. Old Testament, David, he made a few mistakes, didn't he? They're called sins. One time he decided, boy, I'm doing so cool. I want to know how big my army is. You know, I want to compare how Putin's doing and I'm making sure I'm better than him. Got more silos with. Anyway. And Joab, this is one of the few times Joab was on task. Joab said, you're making me sick. Don't do this. Oh, no, no, I want to know. And so the king wins, you know, whatever he says. Out Joab goes, they number, and even Joab told some guy, don't count those people. Just, this is disgusting. Don't do it. He knew it was a pride thing, and it was going to bring judgment. He knew it. 
And the judgment comes and a plague comes and the angel of the Lord comes with the sword drawn, right? Heading for Jerusalem. Thousands of people have just lost their lives. because You know, I hate to tell you this. We're all under authority. I know we hate it. We've been in rebellion for 30 years. We hate being under authority. But the fact is, authorities make decisions and we're all affected. It's the way it is. So, David realizes he has totally messed up. He says, I will do whatever I have to do. He casts himself upon the Lord's mercy, and God tells him, you need to intercede at a certain place. And you remember the story. He goes outside the city of Jerusalem to the field of Arana, who is threshing wheat. He's, he's going along with the oxen and the yoke and the threshing sled, and he owns this beautiful field. Choice property, by the way, right outside of town. Worth a lot. Low taxes, high value. Anyway, he sees David coming. I'm here to sacrifice to the Lord and stop the plague. Basically, God's saying, I'll, I'll listen if you'll petition, humble yourself. And he knows it. And Arana hears what he wants, and he says, don't worry about it, King David. I, I love and appreciate you so much here. You can have the field. You can have the oxen. You can have the equipment. You can sacrifice it all right now. Just use all of that. And here's the verse. Here's David's reaction. The king said to Arana, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which costs me nothing. So... I wasn't planning to end here, but I'm going to. Are you going to be here next week? No, not you. Are you going to be here next week? If you can't, okay. Okay. I might have to plug in anyway. You will be here. Thanks be to God. Okay, that's great. And all of God's people said. Okay. <laughs> I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. I think this is one of our areas, brothers and sisters. We own our life. We own our time. We own our hobbies, our R&R, our &R, all the things we love that we are in charge of. And we give God, I'm telling you, I see it all the time. We give him leftovers. So you're asking about time. Time is one of our most valued commodities. And as I was praying and pressing into this whole thing, and by the way, one of the fun things about preaching is I have wonderful Saturday nights of torment, <laughs> literally. But it came to me as I, was, as I was weighing in and praying into this is that some of us have made some bad decisions about our time and our talents and our treasures. You have to, I can't tell you what to do. You have to assess. Sometimes we're involved in so many things. I see this in, in, in oh, now I'm going to meddle. I see this in the way children are raised today, right? We do everything. We, we say yes to everything. Terrible mistake for a number of reasons. Where is the time? Now we, now we can spend money to go see clinicians who will teach us how to have quiet space. Quiet space. Go to your room. Quiet space. I need some time to meditate. No, you need to just turn it all off for a while. I have a great picture. It's got um, this, this yoga class thing, and it shows a, a woman doing this yoga position. 
You get the idea? One of these deals with her phone. <laughs> I'm going, bam, bam. 100% counterproductive, the exact opposite of the purpose. You're out of your mind. Am I making sense? You have to take, you have, you have so much money. You have so much time. You have so many talents, you know, or, or skills. Girls always want boyfriends with skills. And you have, you have only, you have only so much. You have to discern. Let me just ask the question. I'm, I'm going to just ask, how much of that has God been considered first before you made that decision? How much of it now when you look at it can you say, oh, I know God wants me to do this. So I'm not telling everybody to be like me. All I'm saying is I made a choice years ago to keep it simple, especially when I came here. I said, I've got to keep it simple. I have my ministry, I have my family, and I have one hobby, and that's it. Because anything else is going to deplete my energies. And so, and I've only got so much energy at this age. You have to decide, am I being a good steward of what God has entrusted me? Stop offering to God the quarter, you know, ping. Hey, I flipped him a quarter. He should be happy. I gave him that. What that communicates to me is there is a point where I need to assess, when was the last time, just because I love Jesus, I sacrificed something? I sacrificed my time. I sacrificed this money that I was going to spend on this toy. I gave it up. I, I sacrificed people who take a vacation to go serve on a mission field. When was the last time? I did something like that. Let me show you a verse. I want you to jump down to the one out of Mark there, brother, if I could. This is great. Jesus is saying, you know, a master tells his, his uh, servants what to do, and they do it. They don't come in and, and he says, oh, wonderful. Thank you for setting the table. That's what I pay you for. That's basically it. Can't find it? Well, whoever it is. I like all those apostles. Any one of them will do. Actually, Mark wasn't one. Where is it? Where is it? Luke? Yeah, that's the one. Get this. And then, and if you do something like that, you know, I did this. So you too, when you do all the things which you're, this is one of the most obscure verses in the Bible. I bet you almost nobody of, none of us have this as a memory verse. Anyone have this as a memory verse? How did I know? Because I don't have as a memory verse. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say this. We're unworthy. King James Version. We're unprofitable servants. We've only done what you told us to do. We only did what we were supposed to do. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with saying way to go when you see each other. And you, you did that. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for serving in that regard. Praise the Lord. That's good. That's okay. It's okay for us to do that. But what is that communicating? Humility. I get it. I did what I was supposed to do. What's the big deal? I have a hard time with it, especially as a pastor. You know, people thank me. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. this. I'm like, 
praise God, just doing my job. I don't think I deserve any special kudos. Oh, thank you, though, if you keep them coming. Thank you. Know, cards and letters and checks. And No, I'm kidding. Just joking. So you, too, when you do all the things which are commanded, say, we're unworthy slaves. We've only done that which we ought to have done. Isn't that a great text? So the encouragement for us today is with that crossroad, it's your choice. I mean, I'm not going to die. Well, I am going to die eventually, but one way or the other, if people make a choice as a congregation, they want to be met, okay, I would rather see vital. But to become vital, there's going to have to be some adjustment about priorities because I hate Prieto's law being enforced here. You know what that is, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work while 80% don't. I think we're a little better here, by the way. I think we're a little better off statistically. But really, all of us need to have our hand on something. When the, uh, when the food pantry started, I started meditating on that. No, well, I mean, not literally meditating on it. Like, I was thinking about it. Did I answer your question, by the way? Thank you. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Every, actually, can you go to the verse right in front of that one? I'm covering more than I thought I would. Since we each have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. What's your gift? I don't know. Find out. How will I find out? Do something! If it stinks, you'll figure it out and then try something else. And maybe three times down the road, you'll find something. Wow, this is fun. And then do it. I think we should become a monastery with boys and girls. And no celibacy laws, okay? None of that either. For married people. That's all I'm talking about. If you're not married, celibacy. Yes, definitely, totally. Oh, he really believes that? He really believes that? Yes, I do. I think it's biblical. But anyway, here's the point. In a monastery, everybody has their task. Depending on the monastery, you're part of that community. You may rotate through or you're continually on duty in some area. Nobody sits around picking his nose. Well, they may, but they got to work. Everybody rotates through the kitchen. Everybody rotates through the garden. Everybody rotates through um, uh, laundry. Everybody rotates through vespers, all of the prayer times. Everybody participates. So I've been thinking about that. And I was thinking, boy, if I don't have my hand on anything yet, you've heard about one area. How about the food pantry? Or something like that that's already happening that just needs some bodies to make it happen. And if it's not your thing, you'll find out. But at least you put your hand to it. And the other thing that will be a benefit is the church isn't held back by branches that aren't bearing fruit of any kind. Have a task. I think I quoted this years ago. Anybody ever see Sense and Sensibility, that great spiritual movie? I know all my movies are old. I still have failed the MLT. They told me to get new movies, but 
I'm just a little behind. And the ones that I have seen, I couldn't use in church. Anyway, so <laughs> in Sense and Sensibility, there's a scene where um, the girl that, uh, who was Rickman, Rickman's character, Colonel Brandon, he's smitten by this girl and she's sick with a fever. They don't know if she's going to live. And he's pacing back and forth outside of her room. And finally, the doctor comes out and someone else, and he walks up to them and he says, give me an occupation or I shall go mad. Maybe it's that we haven't found an occupation. We are a little mad. (laughs) Right? We're called to serve, to be like our Savior. I do want to talk about serving next time because too few carry too much. And we need to shift that. In fact, in some cases, I think it's extremely unhealthy. So, if I have bored you today, my apologies. But I hope we'll be encouraged to take the turn that goes toward vitality rather than meh. Let's stand together. If you're here today and you wonder what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I would love to talk with you after the service. I'll be up here. Feel free to make your way down, interact with me. If you are um, a person who knows the Holy Spirit's been prodding and poking and saying, why don't you put your hand to something instead of cruising? I would love to hear from you. Come on down. I dare you to give me your name because we'll find something for you to do to the glory of God. I'm not twisting your arm. You want to have the pleasure of Jesus. None but his loved ones know. Lord God, help your assembly. Thank you that there has been some movement, some sense of your spirit calling and drawing and speaking to us. Lord, you spoke about the little flock. You said to your little disciples, this small cluster out of all of Israel, here was a big bunch of people, a huge church, so to speak. And yet he had this small cluster of 12, sometimes 120. And he says to them, fear not, little flock. The Father has gladly decided to give you the kingdom. Lord, I want the kingdom. Thank you that you've given it to us. I want to see it manifested. I want to see vitality. And I believe some of my brothers and sisters here, maybe many, want the same thing. Help us today. Minister to our hearts. Give us courage if there's something making us afraid so that we rise up and give you glory. Woo those who have not entered into life. Let your beauty and your reality, King Jesus, as the Savior of the world, become as clear as day. And for those of us who belong to you, that serving you becomes as clear as day. Well, thank you for helping us. In the great name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. I dare you to come see me.